right. You can finish up those conversations. What is one thing you are thankful for? And then we're going to begin. It might sound cheesy, but one of the things that I am thankful for is you all, and I'm thankful to be here. Uh, So would you join me? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Would you join me? Let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we know that you are present in this place, and you have been. Before we even entered the school, you were here. And so, Jesus, we just simply want to say, Lord, we want to welcome you again. Um, Lord, we just want to turn our eyes to you. Would you orient our hearts to hear what you want us to hear? And Jesus, as we dwell on your word together, would you give us courage to take what we're learning and to love our community in your name? Jesus, we give you our time this morning. We le- would you lead us? We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, have you ever had an idea that was great in theory, but when you put it into practice, it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would? Some of this happened with your Thanksgiving turkeys this past week. And if that was you, this might be a little too soon. But for me, when I think of this concept, I think of a father-son camping experience that I had growing up. Now, my dad and I have had many great memories together, but this was not one of them. So my dad decided to take my brother and I on a guy's weekend camping experience. In theory, this was great. The great outdoors, time with friends, special memories with the kids. But the theory did not take into account the practicality of sleeping in a small tent with a child who was mildly claustrophobic. And I was that child. And so here's what happened. The tent was set up and it was zipped shut, but I was so anxious because I thought, I can't see outside of the tent. I couldn't fall asleep. And some of you are like, Ashish, the point is to not see outside of the tent when you go camping. It protects you from what's outside. But I was claustrophobic, and so I said, I need to do something to change this and help me fall asleep. So I looked, and there was a flap at the top of the tent, and I got up and I unzipped the flap at the top of the tent, and so I could at least see the stars. Now, when I saw the stars, I thought, okay, I'm good. And so I fell asleep. The problem was that a couple minutes later, my dad started to get a little cold, and it actually started to drizzle a little bit, and he woke up and saw that the flap of the tent was open. And so he got up, and he closed the flap of the tent. Then he went back to sleep. But just like Spider-Man, I sensed that something was wrong. And so I woke up, and I looked, and the flap was closed, and so I opened the flap of the tent, and then I went back to sleep. But then my dad woke up because he was feeling a little cold, and he saw that the flap was open, and so he closed the flap of the tent, and then he went back to sleep. You can see how this is going to play out. Needless to say, neither of us got any sleep that night, and neither of us have been camping since then. (laughs) It was such a traumatic experience. Now, in theory, this sounded great, but in practice, it was harder to live out. Now, when I think of this tension of being easier in theory and harder in practice, I think sometimes of the church. Now, these past three months, we have walked through Ephesians and what Paul says about being a Jesus-centered church. And in theory, being a Jesus-centered church sounds amazing. To be a church that walks with truth, to be a church that walks with forgiveness, to be a church that walks with peace with those who we disagree with, to be a community that mutually submits to one another and serves one another. But this is much harder to do when you're actually sitting across from someone who you disagree with or someone who you don't get along with. 
when the rubber meets the road, when we encounter brokenness, when we're caught up in the busyness of life, when we see deep division in our communities, it's hard to live out this Jesus-centered church idea, let alone be a Jesus-centered individual. So how do we live this out? And I wonder if this is what the Ephesians were asking. I imagine them gathered together and listening to Paul's letter being read aloud in their community. And then they hear the words, finally. Did it start to dawn on them, wow, we're about to leave and we actually have to live this out. This high calling of being a Jesus-centered church, we're actually going to have to live out what Paul has talked about in his letter. How are we supposed to do this? Well, I believe that Paul's final exhortation for the Ephesian church is the same encouragement and challenge for us as well and is the only way that we are actually going to be able to live out as a Jesus-centered church. So as we close our series, I want to ask, how do we live as a Jesus-centered church? Well, in our passage, we'll see that a Jesus-centered church stands firm in God's power. And that's our big idea this morning. A Jesus-centered church stands firm in God's power. So this morning, we are going to be in the last section of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can go there on an app. As always, we will have the passage on the screen. Now, to continue our rhythm of having the letter read aloud, I'm actually going to invite one of our community members, Deb Harless, to read the passage for us this morning. So would you join me? Let's welcome Deb Harless. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. Thank you, Deb. Well, this is Paul's final encouragement and message. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Earlier in this series, we talked about how a Jesus-centered church is mighty, and we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says God's incomparably great power is available for those of us who believe. And we looked at how this power is not just something that we can think intellectually about, but this power is personal and practical. 
It's personal in that when we believe, we get to receive God's spirit, God's power in our life. And it's practical in that we get to live out that power, empowered by God, to love our community in the name of Jesus. So to the church that was about to leave their gathering and go into what their daily lives had in store, Paul encourages them to be strong in the Lord, and not in their power, but in God's power. Now why is it so important for it to be God's power? Well, Paul continues in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we look around at our world or we read the news, we don't have to look far to see that there is evil in this world. There's violence, there's destruction, there are instances of moral failure and corruption. Even in our own lives, we can find disharmony and discouragement and selfishness. These things have and will make it hard to be a Jesus-centered church. And some of us have seen what happens when the church actually gives in to this darkness. Now, if this were a human problem, we could solve it with human resources in our own human strength. But what Paul is saying is this struggle is so much bigger than what you can handle in your own human strength. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, sometimes in the Western church, we don't focus as much on the spiritual powers at work in this world. But as you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, you'll find that being aware of what's happening spiritually is crucial and critical for Paul. Paul writes about forces of darkness that want nothing more than to divide and destroy and discourage. This is a cosmic battle that Paul writes about. And because it is a cosmic battle, we need cosmic or heavenly resources. And the amazing thing is that God has made those resources available to us. And so in the face of this battle, Paul continues, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now, maybe you've heard this metaphor before, or maybe this metaphor is brand new for you this morning. But oftentimes when we talk about the armor of God, it can be very theoretical of like, oh yes, I wear the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness. But today I want to get practical. What does it practically mean to put on the armor of God and not just put on the armor, but strengthen that armor? What does this look like for our community? And I want us to get practical because I believe, like I said, that this is the only way that we can live out as a Jesus-centered church. The only way we can live as a Jesus-centered church is by putting on this armor of God and in doing so, standing firm in God's power. Now, I hate to disappoint, but I do not have physical armor with me to put on as I preach through the sermon. But I do have a picture on the screen. Now, what you'll see in this picture, Paul, when he talks about armor, he's talking about the Roman soldiers of the day. And in this relief, you can see the image of the belt and the breastplate and the shield, and you can even see the sword as well. Now, it would bring to mind a picture of these Roman soldiers, but if we could go on a little, what Steph calls a seminary for everyone tangent for a little bit. Now, Paul is not just referring to the Roman soldiers, but he is also making a reference to the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talks about the armor of God. For example, take Isaiah chapter 59 and see if you can see some of the parallels with what Deb just read in Ephesians. So here's what Isaiah chapter 59 says. 
It says earlier that God saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene or deliver his people. And so this is what Isaiah says. He says, God put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So why is this important to look at the Old Testament? Well, because in the book of Isaiah, God or the Messiah is putting on the armor as an act of offense against the evil or against the forces of injustice in this world. But catch what Paul says in Ephesians chapter, th- or chapter 6, verse 13. He doesn't say, put on the armor of God so that you can charge into battle. Put on the armor of God so that you can go and attack the world. Paul says, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it will, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand your ground. For Paul, putting on the armor is not offensive, but defensive. And why is it defensive? Because Paul knows that through Jesus, the battle is already won. Paul knows that through Christ, the work has already been finished. We serve a God who is victorious. It says earlier in Ephesians about how through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus took down the forces of evil and is now seated on high above the rulers, above the authorities, above the powers in this world. It's important to realize that this battle that Paul talks about is not a battle between two equal forces. This is not good versus evil. This is a battle where we serve a God who is greater. And as the church, we get to stand in that power. We get to stand firm, not in fear, but stand firm with our heels dug into Christ's victory. We are on the winning side, and that's important to remember as a Jesus-centered church. So as a Jesus-centered church, we stand firm in God's power. Now, this idea of stand firm brought to mind memories of me and my brother doing martial arts as kids. Now, we would do taekwondo, and as one of those taekwondo sessions, one of the exercises was we would pair up, and someone would hold a foam shield, and the other person would practice their kicks on that shield. Now, the idea of that practice was to improve the technique of your kicks. But as middle school boys, that was not our primary goal. Our primary goal was to try and kick with so much force that we would knock the other person over. So when you're holding the shield, we wouldn't just stand kind of stationary, just kind of like, well, what's going to happen? No, we would widen our stance and position ourselves to absorb the impact or take the kick. And in the same way, as we stand as a Jesus-centered church, this is not just standing stationary. This is standing assuming a good posture, knowing that there is evil in this world that we are going to face. And we do this by putting on the complete armor of God. Now, as we walk through these different pieces of armor, you'll notice that there are practices on the screen. And these practices can help us put on the armor and strengthen that armor. Now, some of you might know different practices, but these have been practices that God has used in my life to challenge me and to help me strengthen the armor in my own world. These practices are worship, service, and gathering. Now, at Mill City, we often talk about engaging up, in, and out, and these practices help us move in those directions. So what are these practices? Worship is a lifestyle, but for this morning, when I talk about worship, I'm simply using worship to refer to practices through which we remember who God is and remember who we are because of what God has done. Now, in my life, that has looked like singing, 
That has looked like reading scripture. That has looked like prayer. Worship reminds us who God is and reminds us who we are because of what God has done. The second practice is service. Now, service is the practice of using our time, our energy, and our resources to meet the needs of those around us. This could be people that you know. This could be people that you've never met. Service is a practice that helps us put on this armor. And then third, gathering. And specifically when I talk about gathering, I'm talking about gathering together with other Jesus followers. This could be discipleship groups. This could be missional communities. This could be one-on-one conversations. This could even be gathering together like what we're doing on a Sunday morning. Do you know that what we are doing is actually building up the armor of God by gathering together and strengthening that armor together? So worship, service, and gathering. And as we go through these pieces of armor, see if you can think through how these practices can help reinforce that armor. So Paul starts with the belt of truth. Now, if you've traveled by plane, you know that there is a moment where you have to pass through a security gate in order to get to the gate or to get to your airplane. Now, some people are really fancy and have things like TSA pre-check, which means that they can just wave and the security guards are like, welcome to your flight. Other people like me have the privilege of walking with the common people through the security line. Now, if you've never been through one of these security checkpoints, what you do is you take off your belt, you take off your shoes, you take off your phone, and you put it on the conveyor belt. And then you go and stand in this machine with your hands up like this, and they'll scan you to make sure that you're not carrying anything onto the plane that you shouldn't be carrying. Now, for me, one of the most anxious moments is that moment I take off the belt and put it on the conveyor belt, and then I stand with my hands up. (laughs) It's a lot of trust with no belt. The belts were designed to hold things together, and this was true of the Roman outfit. The belt would hold all the armor in place and allow the soldier to move freely in battle. Now, Paul isn't talking about putting on a physical belt, but binding yourself with truth. And a good way to discern if you are wearing the belt of truth is asking, do I know what is true about God, myself, and others? It's no wonder that Paul starts with truth because this armor is supposed to help us take a stand against the schemes of the enemy, an enemy who Jesus calls the father of lies. And this is what the enemy has been doing since the beginning and still does now, spreading lies about who God is and who we are. Some of these lies are, oh, did God really say that God would provide? Is God actually with you? Maybe it's about those around you and saying, oh, does that person, is he truly worth your compassion and your time? Or maybe it's a lie about who you are, believing a lie that says, I'm too broken for God to love me. I'm too broken for God to use me. But we are not a church that is invited to stand in the lies. We are a church that's invited to stand in God's power. And in the face of those lies, we can put on the belt of truth. Now, a practice for me that has been helpful in putting on the belt of truth has been worship. Through singing songs, through reflecting on scripture, I'm reminded of who God is and who I am because of what God has done. Through dwelling on scripture, I'm able to meditate on that truth and internalize it as I go through my time. So what does it look like for you to maybe use worship this week to strengthen and wrap yourself in truth? The truth holds everything together. Paul says, put on the belt of truth. 
Next, Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was a piece of armor that extended from the neck down to the waist, and it would protect all the vital organs necessary for life. Now, to go into battle without this piece of armor would be certain death for a soldier. And this important piece of armor is defined by righteousness or right-making. We often say that we serve a God who makes the wrong things right. And part of standing in God's power is our lining our lives to join God in that right making. So the breastplate of righteousness begs the question, is my heart geared towards joining God in making the wrong things right? Is my heart geared, is my life geared towards joining God in right making? Now, joining God is going to take sacrifice. And to be honest, one of the things that the enemy often holds up for me as an idol is comfort. And one of the things that is really true of my life, which I confess, is that self-centeredness often trumps selflessness in my life. And so how do I turn, how do I cultivate a heart that is geared towards joining God and making things right and geared towards meeting the needs of others? Well, a great practice is service. Through serving the needs of those around us, we are actively placing ourselves in situations where we can ask, God, what is the wrong that needs to be made right? And how can I participate in that? And the more we serve, the more our hearts are shaped to look outward to the needs of those around us. So this week, what if you ask, God, what is the wrong that needs to be made right? And how can I serve? How can I join you in that righteousness? How can I join you in making that thing right? So we have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Next, Paul moves to verse 15. He says, And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel is the good news and the good news of peace. Good news that through Jesus we have peace with God, and through Jesus we have strength to live in peace with other people. Now, now to figure out whether we are wearing the shoes of peace, we need to ask, am I carrying the good news of peace wherever I go? Now, this could be in a physical space. When you step into a room, do people say, oh, this person is a person of peace. This person is a person that carries peace. This could even be online, in what you post, in the way that you interact with those around you. Do people see, wow, this person is living a narrative of peace. This person is displaying peace in their life. Often in this world, this is characterized by narratives of division and destruction. And in a world with those narratives floating around, can you imagine a Jesus-centered community that actually lived out peace and carried that peace wherever they went? Peace with God and peace with others. Practices that can help us put on the shoes of peace are worship and service. We can worship and remember the story of peace and celebrate that peace, and service actually leads us to go live out this peace towards those around us. Next, Paul moves to the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. Now, faith is another way to say confidence in who God is. So taking up the shield of faith, a good question to ask is, what is an unchanging characteristic of God that I am holding on to in this season? What is something that I am confident in who God is as I go th through life? Now, in my life, one of the arrows that the enemy can often shoot at me is discouragement. 
in seasons of doubt or seasons of uncertainty, often the lie sinks in that I am by myself or that God is disappointed in me that I haven't done enough. Taking up the shield of faith in my life looks like believing that even though I can't see it, God is with me. And even when I can't feel it, I know that God loves me. Now, as you can imagine, worship is a great way to take up this shield and strengthen that shield of faith as we remind ourselves about who God is. But another great practice is gathering together as a community. Now, in the ancient world, if a soldier was by himself and had his shield, he was pretty protected from the front, but all around him was pretty vulnerable. Now, the Romans figured out a way to solve this problem. And what they would do, and there's going to be a picture on the screen, what they would do is they would gather together and form what was called the tortoise. Now, what this would look like is you'd have a row of soldiers in the front, and they'd have their shield in the front to protect them from the front. Then you'd have soldiers on the side, which would carry the shield on the side, and this would protect them from the side. And then there would be soldiers in the middle that carried the shield above their heads, and this would protect them from above. And what the Roman soldiers realized is that the only way to make it through the battle was if they stayed together in this formation. And I think that's true of community as well. That is the power of community. There will be moments where it is hard to hold up the shield of faith yourself in seasons of doubt and seasons of discouragement. But that's when others in our community have the opportunity to hold up the shield of faith for you. That's why we say at Mill City, sing the song not only over yourself, but sing it over those around you. Worship and gathering together, what we're doing right now is a way to strengthen this shield of faith, not only for ourselves, but for each other. And so this morning, when it comes to the shield of faith and strengthening this piece of armor, I have a couple more questions to ask. When it comes to the shield of faith, maybe a question you need to ask is, who in my life do I need to carry the shield of faith for? Or maybe, who do I need to invite into my life to carry the shield of faith for me? All right, I am running out of time. We are going to go into the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So the helmet of salvation, I'm going to be really brief on this one. The helmet of salvation would protect the brain from injury. And when it comes to putting on the helmet of salvation, I want us to think about putting on a perspective where we remember that God is the rescuer and savior. Oftentimes when I am going into a tough season, it is easy for me to put on the perspective that I can do this in my own strength. I am the rescuer. But it just takes facing the brokenness for me to realize that this is a very exhausting way to live. And so as we look at the helmet of salvation, this morning putting on the helmet might involve asking what perspectives are needed, what perspective shifts are needed for me to trust God as the rescuer and savior in my life. And then finally, take up the sword of the Spirit. Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And in the Greek, this word is rhema, or literally the words of God. When it comes to using the words of God to counter the enemy, I think of Jesus in the wilderness. We can find this in the book of Matthew, where Jesus uses the words of God to silence the attacks of the enemy. In the same way, the sword of the Spirit is one of our greatest tools as we stand firm in God's power. And so when it comes to taking up the sword of the Spirit, we need to ask, am I listening and being shaped by God's words? Are there places in my life where I'm actually listening and being shaped by God's words? 
Now, all the practices can help you listen to God's words. You can do this through worship as you listen to music, as you listen to sermons, as you read God's word. You can do this through service. Sometimes actually stepping out of our comfort zone and meeting the needs of those around us creates space in our life to actually listen to what God is doing in a way that we wouldn't have listened if we stayed back in our comfort zone. And even gathering together is a way that we can listen to God. And that is what we're doing as Mill City right now. We're discerning what it looks like for us to adopt Elam into our community. That is a communal discernment. It's not like, oh, like Pastor Steph heard from God and now we're going to go. It's we all together get to discern what God is doing and get to ask the question together, God, what is the more that you're doing at Mill City and in Northeast Minneapolis? That's one of the practices I love about Mill City is the way that we discern together. Now, another great way to listen and be shaped by God's word is through prayer. And this is how Paul ends his letter. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, I preached a whole message on prayer earlier this fall about how a Jesus-centered church is propelled by prayer. So I'm not going to get into prayer uh, specifically this morning. But what I will say about prayer is that prayer matters. Through prayer, we remember the power that we have been given. And through prayer, we are able to declare that power against the forces of darkness in this world. And it is through prayer that I have seen the schemes of the enemy crumble. Through prayer, I have seen families and relationships restored and healed. Through prayer, I have seen those held captive by things outside of their power. I've seen them set free. Through prayer, even in my own life, I have seen fear replaced by peace. And I have seen insecurity replaced by God's strength. Prayer matters. Are there ways that you have seen prayer shape your own life or maybe the lives of those around you? Paul says, stand firm in God's power and do this through putting on the armor of God and through prayer. A Jesus-centered church stands firm in God's power. So as we end this morning, I just wanted to end with a couple questions. First, is there a piece of armor that God is inviting you to strengthen through the power of the Spirit? So as you look at this list, there'll be a list of all the pieces of armor on the screen. As you look at the practices, is there a piece of armor that God is inviting you to strengthen? Because living as a Jesus-centered church is going to be hard. We are going to face opposition. And the only way we can live as a Jesus-centered church is by putting on the armor of God and standing firm. And so this week, is there a practice and is there a piece of armor that God is inviting you to strengthen? Maybe it's the breastplate of righteousness. And maybe a practice this week is asking your neighbors to say, hey, what is one way that I can serve you this holiday season? It's busy for everyone. What is one way that I can meet a need that you have? That can help strengthen the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe it's the shoes of peace. Strengthening the shoes of peace might look like not spending your first moments in the morning absorbing the news, but actually spending the first moments in the morning meditating on a verse from maybe Psalms or another book in Scripture and letting that verse shape the course of your day. Maybe it is the shield of faith. What would it look like for you to practice hospitality and not only hold other people's stories, but allow your own story to be held? For me in my life, I thought, you know, God, the thing that you want me to work on is the belt of truth. That's what I need to work on. And as I was preaching this and practicing this yesterday, God said, uh-uh, nope, you need to work on the sword of the Spirit. 
That's what you need to do. This has been a season of a lot of busyness in my life. And it has felt like, for those of you that have run a marathon, it has felt like I've been in mile 18 for about three months. And during this really busy season of life, it has been so hard to actually take time out of my day to listen to what God is saying. And so this morning, as I preach this message and dwell on it myself, the piece of armor that I need to strengthen is the sword of the Spirit. And how I'm going to try to do that is specifically through journaling. That's how I get to listen to what God is saying and actually let that strengthen and shape my life. That is how I get to stand firm in God's power. Now, this is going to look different for everyone, but is there a piece of armor that God is inviting you to strengthen through the power of the Spirit? And finally, as we end our series, here's a question. How might God strengthening you in that way strengthen our community? Remember, Paul is not speaking specifically to you, but he's speaking to y'all when it comes to the Ephesian church. And so this is not an invitation to put on the armor and wear this armor and then kind of do our own thing. This is an invitation to put on the armor and then stand alongside other people who have the armor on and together standing firm in God's power, living as a Jesus-centered church. When one person is strengthened, we all are strengthened. And so how might God strengthening you in that way strengthen our community? I'm going to invite the band up as we end our time in worship. And this is a great way to put on the armor of God and strengthen this armor by celebrating what Jesus has done and celebrating who we get to be because of Jesus's victory. Mill City, we're reminded that living as a Jesus-centered church is not the default. Living as a Jesus-centered church is going to be hard in this world. But what we get to do is we don't have to be people that live in fear. But we get to be people that position ourselves, dig our heels into Christ's victory, and stand firm in God's power. So would that be true for us as we leave this room? Would we be a community that stands firm in God's power, lives out Jesus' victory, and loves our community in the name of Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you have given us this power through your Spirit. We thank you that this is a power that we get to stand firm in. We thank you that as we head into this world, we know that we serve a leader who is victorious, a leader that has put to death death and put to death fear and actually allows us to live in that freedom. And so Jesus, as a church, would we put on the armor of God? Would we root ourselves in what you've done? And would you give us wisdom on how to best love your community in your name? This is for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Would you worship with us?